Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington, and I am the founding director of the Product Management Center. We're trying to build a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. Part of what we're doing is every single week, we bring you some of the best and brightest product managers so that everybody has access to the knowledge and a sense of community. And today, I'm joined by three product managers who are going to talk about growth product management. I was just saying, well, a few of you are here. It is a buzzy buzzword, growth PM. What is it? We're going to talk about what is it, uh, why is it, and how best to do it. And then we're just going to kick it. We'll answer your questions and they'll have questions of each other and just kind of build off of what they say. So first, I'm going to start with Peter. He is on the founding advisory board of the Product Management Center, helped us build it from the ground up. And Peter recommended this topic. So Peter, I'd love to hear about your journey in product and just your perspective on why does anybody care about Growth PM? Yeah, definitely. Well, hi, everyone. Thrilled to be here. Longtime listener, first-time caller, or you know, whatever you say on a podcast. <laughs> so I started, like many people who touched Growth PM, on the marketing side, on the more technical marketing side. And after several years kind of going deep on marketing tech, product management, CRMs, working with customer data, you know, kind of enabling marketers through channels and owning that. I went the path that many PMs take, although not all, and went to business school at the University of Washington. Coming out of there, I had product roles at Starbucks Corporate, Nordstrom Corporate, and then I left during the start of the pandemic when e-commerce was blowing up to be the first full-time PM at a direct-to-consumer e-commerce company. CrowdCow was their name. And like many of those awesome startups that boomed when paid media costs rose, they busted <laughs> at the end of the pandemic, ended up making a move back to the kind of the corporate side where I'm at Yahoo now. I basically grow their email program. So I've had kind of a, a wide range of different contexts that I've done this growth work in. Probably the most relevant was what I just came from before this Yahoo gig, where you know every day I'm logging in, I'm looking at you know, is the, the chart going up? Are we acquiring more people, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, that's a little bit about how I got here. And I feel like I want to give the other panelists a chance to introduce themselves too. But I will say like, there's no one definition for a growth PM. I imagine we each probably have our own kind of based on the, the path we've walked and, and what we've seen out there in job posting or peers we've worked with. All right, Peter, thanks for being here. Thanks for that context. And Carolyn, what do you think? Well, first, tell us a little bit about your journey as a product manager and tell us what is a growth PM to you? Yeah, so I started off my kind of product career and actually in B2B product management and then worked at Intuit for many years where one of my roles there was actually helping launch TurboTax Self-Employed, which is sort of a net new product for them, as well as kind of entering some new markets with the call and account service that if any of you guys use TurboTax, hopefully you didn't use it when I first launched it because it was super buggy, but it's gotten better now that I'm no longer on the team. And then I, I worked at Amazon for years where I did a lot of personalization and then owned the baby registry where we actually grew it from 
out of, I think, the number four, number five baby registering in the country to the number one. And now I'm working at Wayfair, where I lead the product team. It sort of owns a core funnel, as you would think about it. So I have a bunch of different teams underneath me. And we kind of, we own homepage all the way through cart and checkout. And the reason, you know, I never had startup experience. I've actually, you know, worked in these companies that are market leaders, but at kind of every point in my career have had the opportunity to take on a line of business that is either addressing a new market, serving a kind of like an underserved business for the company. And so I think regardless of whether you're in startups or kind of the largest Fortune 500 companies in the world, understanding how to grow a business, how to, you know, think about your P&L as you think about your product strategy is super important and it relates to kind of every company size. That's my answer. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Ryan, tell us about your journey in product and then just what do you think a growth product manager is about? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Ryan Cadell. I'm a senior PM at Sondermind and I'll talk a little bit about them further, but I'll be bringing sort of a perspective from a healthcare lens as well as growth stage and, and startup. But yeah, one of my first product gigs was actually to co-manufacture like book lights in China and at a very, very small company. And I've since taken a few pivots, worked at a UX agency. It's um, so some of my background. And then I've been in healthcare uh, product management for the last five or six years. So what is a growth PM? My take on the growth PM is a little bit of a mindset and a charter shift. Uh, growth PMs are tasked with focusing and being obsessed with a golden metric from the business. So sort of the classic metrics associated with growth, acquisition, conversion, uh, retention, and activation. And typically a growth PM is assigned one of those and is charged with going very deep on that. And delivering results for the business. And uh, we can talk a little bit about what doesn't go into a growth PM, but maybe I'll just stop there and sort of set the table, so to speak, for, for the discussion. So Peter, how does that differ from a regular product manager? So we've got some aspiring product managers in the audience. So my first question is, what distinguishes a growth product manager from any other product manager? And then two, is it appropriate to dive right into being a growth product manager? Or should one be a product manager before they then take on that specificity? Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. It means so many different things in different contexts. I feel like some of the common definitions I've seen for growth PM are really a focus on growing revenue or the line of business, as Carolyn put it, by finding new customers or retaining old ones with a bit of a bias towards the new. And that can often mean a really close partnership with, say, performance marketing or even media planners. I would say that often, if you have this overwhelming focus on a conversion funnel, right, which many growth PMs do, I did at that DTC company. I think Ryan talks to me sometimes about how he's kind of in a, a double conversion funnel with the service that he, he provides. But like the difference between that and a product manager is, in a, you know, you might be a product manager who's a product owner. You might be a product manager who's managing a platform or a feature. I guess it's almost like the all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares, right? It's a subset of product management. And, you know, I wouldn't say that you necessarily need to have specific product experience first. Some of the stuff that matters the most in the roles I've been in, where kind of my marketing technical background has really helped, is that understanding of the marketing use case. These people who are spending a lot of money for paid media are bringing other traffic to the site. What are their goals? 
understanding that context. So I've seen people come in with that marketing background and turn into great growth PMs without a ton of traditional product experience. Um, separately, understanding the, yeah, the truly technical side can help if you're, say, having to develop the code, right? You know, if you're like the third person at a startup that's even smaller <laughs> than the one I was at. So I wouldn't say there's necessarily any one way like you have to have that product box checked before moving into growth PMs of specialization. Certainly, as with many roles, it's, you know, what relevant context and experience can you point to? You know, how can you sort of shape that narrative about yourself in the interview? I find that that, that is often um, one of the best places to get there. And what keeps someone as a good growth PM is, well, the ability to get results, <laughs> but also sometimes good instincts, the ability to follow a hunch when there's data behind it and really execute. So yeah, no one way, no necessary um, preamble. Yeah, kind of being long-winded here, but I wanted to just kind of go over some of the stuff that doesn't have to be true because it's more about the person. Thank you, Peter. Carolyn, question for you. How do you distinguish a growth product manager from marketing or a marketer? And then two, related to what I asked Peter, does it help to transition if you're in marketing? Is growth product management like the ideal transition or is it almost hard to kind of change, orient yourself to the differences? You'll talk about it first. You know, I don't necessarily think so. The thing I would say that distinguishes a product career from kind of any other career in the corporate world is the hyper-focus on the customer. And so one of the classic examples that I talk about from our Amazon days is as we were growing baby registry into this kind of huge business, it became the most valuable kind of single action that a customer could take. We called it like a downstream event and basically measured spend after a customer took that event over the next year, kind of how much more did they spend on Amazon compared to a customer who didn't take that same event. And so the U.S. business was seeing really strong results from our, our baby registry. And so when we were meeting with our international partners, they were really excited about it. And so there was large tech investments, large kind of marketing investments to basically extend the baby registry onto these international sites in UK and Japan and over and over again, kind of as we tried to do this, we saw that the results weren't working. And we stepped back and we we're like, well, do any of these customers in any of these other countries actually have baby showers and create baby registries? And the answer was no. And so that product was never going to grow and was never going to work there. And I think that that's, you know, whether you're a growth PM or a platform PM, that to me is kind of the key thing that you need to love and be really interested in is your users and your customers. And so I think that everything else, in my opinion, is a skill that you can learn over time. But if you have that sort of intrinsic desire to understand your customers really deeply, understand what they want out of a product, then that's going to be how you grow your career. And so that's, I think, the more important part than your actual, your background, your tech skills, whether you know you can do a back of the envelope analysis, create a roadmap, all that stuff, you can learn on the job. All right. Thank you, Carolyn, for that perspective. We also have Red here. Red, are you ready to, one, tell people how they could get involved in today's conversation? And two, 
Talk a little bit about sales. So your background is in sales, even though your strength is your community building and bringing people together. And that's why I'm so grateful that you're on the founding advisory board of the Product Management Center. Uh, you brought us all together into this. You used to start it on Clubhouse, but now we're here on LinkedIn. And so I'd love for you to tell people how they can get involved in today's conversation and then talk about your wheelhouse in sales, how you're also probably focused on growth. How does that your thinking in sales intersect with how they're defining and talking about a growth product manager? Well, first of all, I have to say that you just wanted to say all of that just to cover up for the amazing pun that you opened up with. I saw it. I heard it, Jeff. <laughs> I heard it. You got it. Uh, every episode. It's like it's like an Easter egg, but it's not because it's right there in front of you. So for context, for those who do not know, as Jeff had pointed out, I am extremely passionate about the Product Management Center at University of Washington and how online now with this podcast, uh, we're recording this live so that we can make it available to everybody. It doesn't matter if you're at University of Washington or in the United States. What we want to do is capture all the advice we could possibly capture from the best of the best in product management so that people out there can realize, this is my door. I can get through this door. These are the people that can help me get through this door and create a more inclusive space for our product managers. And in addition to that, we also have a Slack community that we haven't really focused on as a monetization vehicle. It's purely there because the groups of PMs that were joining the podcast and connecting with us wanted a place to connect afterwards. So if you're somebody who wants a place to be amongst your peers and there is zero agenda when you join, there are about 2,000 people plus in this group. But to get in, you have to direct message myself or Jeff and just say, hey, send me a link let me in. It's curated just to prevent the salespeople and the recruiters from getting in there because as much as we love what they do, they're not there to talk product management. So if you're looking for another place to seek out resources, the University of Washington is a great partner for product managers. In addition to all the things we talk about every single Tuesday, Jeffrey, myself, as well as Sumeya, we rotate and push as hard as we can to consistently offer different PMs on stage highlighting their skills as well as their advice. So if you know anybody who wants to partake in this, please. Now, Jeff, you talked about growth mindset and sales. I think that not to keep the, the concept so broad, but it, can you define when you said growth mindset for product, what you were trying to get at? Because again, I'm all about specificity in sales. I'm all about understanding what it is the scope needs to be. <laughs> Yeah, and sorry, I kind of swung that on you when uh, we had a technical snafu that you missed a little bit at the beginning of the conversation. But Peter, walk us through again, just for everybody, what are the metrics that matter most to the growth PM, at least as far as in your mind? Hi, Red. I was just telling people at the when I kicked this off, I'm a longtime listener, first-time guest. So yeah, I would say growth PM has traditionally, as I've seen it uh, and interviewed for it slash done it, been consumer-focused, often growing revenue by finding new customers, bringing people from an adjacent business into your line of business or retaining old ones, often with a bias towards finding those new customers. Sometimes working with marketing, sometimes not, sometimes really focusing on core funnel. There's no one definition, but it, it largely kind of lives in that center, if that makes sense. Hope that gives some clarity. Well, you know, I've been, Jeff, talking to a lot of my colleagues. I handle onboarding as well as training for new hires at our, my current company. And I always ask, when you meet someone, ask them their KPI. That's what makes the person at the company. That's what they're going to care about the most. So Peter, I want to swing this back to you. I mean, what is the KPI that defines yeah. this? 
role. Definitely. At the last place I was before my current much larger uh, thing where growth is one of my concerns, not the only one. When it was last my only concern, the KPI that mattered the most was net customers that week. So basically a combination of new people and retained. So then using the website, et cetera. Yeah. I think, Jeff, you kind of have your answer. We care about volume as a major push, not just on my relationship with product, but in sales. It's having a KPI in the first place. I would say, and Jeff, if Sumeo was here, this would be stoking serious controversy, which is what are reasons a product manager should not operate under a KPI? And there are use cases we've discussed in the past where that is potentially permissible. But again, I don't want to stoke any fires right now because I don't have my <laughs> supporting partner in crime here to, to save me. So I'm going to pass this one back to you, Jeff, and hopefully that answers your question is wrong around how I am aligned with the growth mindset of a growth product manager. All right. And so, Red, you're actually in B2B sales predominantly. Am I correct? This is a correct assumption. All right. So Peter said this is mainly consumer focused. So I have to admit my ignorance. Is Growth PM limited predominantly to consumer focused? Ryan or Carolyn, any thoughts on both your experience or what you've observed from your peers? I wouldn't say so. I mean, I think so. The first product role I had, we were building basically like software for auto insurance companies, claims processing. So our our growth was more step change because you're kind of, you're going after a progressive and then a state farm and then a Geico. The cycle of growth is very different and there's kind of more players involved where you have account managers that are dealing with the relationships and it's not purely a product person with their atomic team of design and engineering thinking through, you know, how do we attract, acquire these new customers or, you know, whatever your growth KPI is. So I think there's there's no reason it doesn't apply to B2B, at least how I've seen it done before. I think your trajectory and your kind of like growth graph is just going to look different. Ryan, is that your opinion as well? I think if there's like a layer of nuance that I might add to it, you can think about a company like Slack. So where you have a feature like Slack Connect. So it's a B2B context, but you have a product manager that is working with an engineering team to create a growth feature that is going to fuel B2B business. But I think that the nuance that I would connect to consumers is that product managers in a growth space are creating user experiences with engineers, like solving problems with software to make the growth cycle scalable. So regardless of whether or not you deploy that B2B or consumer, there's still a software element in a product manager behind it in a metric. So that's where I feel like you'd tie those things together. And now since uh, Red was ready to let the genie out of the bottle and talking about sales, so is it correct then that growth PMs are generally trying to replace sales, like you're trying to let the product do the sales for you? Or is there a close relationship with the sales group that any one of you can kind of bring attention to? Oh, I would love to hear a product manager say, I'm going to lead sales. So I'm going to, I'm going to defer to the crowd. Uh, and if you, any of you want to, uh, <laughs> to Knowing do, that to there's the a thing. salesperson in the audience, is a growth PM supposed to obviate the need for a large sales group? I wouldn't say so. Again, it, it comes down to context. Like if we if we followed the Slack thread or whatnot, you have product managers that are creating sticky experiences that theoretically should dovetail with the relationships that are being built on an enterprise level and making it easier to close those deals. 
So I don't think it's like a one-to-one replacement, but I think that across the industry landscape, product is taking uh, more of a prominent role in trying to move those conversations forward. I don't think as much uh, like sort of cold calling and relationship only. I usually think that there's like a partnership associated with it. You know, I'll just add to that too. I feel like I've seen good PMs work very well with say sales and product marketing managers to understand with data who would actually use this feature. How would this contribute to growth? How would this contribute to retention? And maybe the best growth PMs kind of feel the same hunger that say a sales leader would to get that graph going up and to the right. You know, maybe they look at it through a customer lens, not necessarily a, an interaction with a customer lens so much as that customer journey lens, or, you know, I, I can't claim to have a ton of sales experience either, Red, so, so pardon if I'm, I'm stepping on any landlines here. But yeah, I would say that I've seen sales and PMs work great together, depending on how siloed the organization is and how really cross-functional some of those goals are. You know, and that goes sometimes to executive culture, goals in the planning, strategic process. TLDR, no reason why they can't work together. I certainly wouldn't put myself on the hook, as Red said, for replacing sales. That's a that's a check I can't cash. <laughs> I'll be controversial here and say that well-designed products, well-designed <laughs> support doesn't need sales. I think frequently you see the sales team, and I'm sure Red would never do this, but other sales leaders, there's kind of a attention where, you know, there's commitments to features that then like the product team isn't planning on delivering. And so I think it really depends on the business. Obviously, we have a, a sales team within Wayfair that manages some of our, our large accounts. And I think ultimately our goal there is to make a lot of that much more self-service for everyone. There's a bit of handholding that'll need to happen, but longer term, how do we build that within the software to really make it scalable? And again, you can make your market a lot bigger if you don't need to have a sales team. Controversy. Red, we finally got it, but you're in the thick of it. And poor Red, I don't know if he wants to get into the controversy, but thank you for that context. Ryan or Peter, did you want to reply or while we give Red a chance to brush it off and uh, decide if he wants to jump into the fray? Anything to add to what Carolyn was saying? Yeah, I would just say like the, I'm going to call it a fallback answer, but I feel like you so often as a product manager can say it's context dependent, right? Because yes, definitely self-support, self-serve, something that enables perhaps a seller to work on something else while a customer you know, is able to figure out some product features from say a wiki or community of excellence. There's a lot of things that really make that virtuous cycle go better. So, so context dependent. But yeah, I think essentially I'd agree with that. All right. Thank you, Peter. I'll let Red just beat me up for stoking the controversy surrounding his entire livelihood. But uh, we're not saying that sales are irrelevant. It's just that the goal of a good product is to be so easy to understand, to onboard, and to utilize that that people can do that. So speaking of that process by which you are making it so easy for growth to happen, how do you go about optimizing and testing and really seeing what's working, what to double down on, and, and what to avoid? With that question, maybe launch into either an anecdote that you have or speak in generalities. But I'll start with Peter, since he he recommended that aspect, and then I'd love for Carolyn and, and Ryan to jump in. Yeah, I will say, I'm sure all three of us have a number of stories about optimization and testing. It's a huge part of the growth PM role. I will try not to drone on with mine, but you know, I think one of the one of the things we were kicking around as a, a good kind of growth PM truism here uh, before this discussion was, is it better to take a big swing or a thousand tiny ones to grow your metrics? And you know, multivariate testing, A/B testing, 
you know, do you do bite-sized ones like a font size, et cetera, or, you know, change the business model? And, you know, I, I would say before my last gig at this startup really close to the action, I probably would have told you a thousand tiny experiments is better. But I had a really smart growth product leader who turned that on his head for me at this last gig. If you have a smart experiment, it's driven by hard data and it's really tight in execution. Say you wanted to change the pricing across the site, you executed that really well and you had a good data-driven reason why, you know, kind of based on page observations or prior tests, you know, you can really reach what we call kind of a new local maximum with a big swing that you maybe can't with a few tiny ones. And then also too, you can get into like this space of how are these small tests I'm running going to interact together? Did the bold font or the border on buttons make my conversion go up by 0.05%? Do I need to test them separate? They're testing together now. I tested them separately. There's administrative burden, you know, with all these small tests. So I'm not saying you can't do the thousand tiny tests in a place like say Amazon or Wayfair probably has the horsepower and the like smart train on the tracks testing system to make that work. What I will say is there's no one answer for like, it needs to be a, you know, a thousand tiny ones as opposed to a big swing. And you don't necessarily have to start small. I guess I would say the truism that I kind of came back to with this was my old product leader who said, think about leverage instead of impact. So not just new revenue, but say new revenue based on the engineering effort that went into it. If you can do one swing and you're pretty sure it'll do something, that may be worth testing, not necessarily betting the farm on, but like you might want to do that as opposed to figuring out how to test five button colors. You know, that's just my my perspective on the testing and optimization side. Can't share too much about that, that last uh, startup anecdote, but that's probably the closest I can get. Carolyn, anything to add? Yeah, the, the thing that I would say kind of we've talked a lot about the importance of kind of your North Star metric and your core KPI. And I, I would say that in, in my experience kind of growing large businesses is what's actually more important is to understand your kind of secondary KPIs in addition to those. So two good anecdotes for this. But when we started off at Baby Registry, our big thing was creates and we were hyper, hyper focused on just getting as many people to create a registry as possible. We did it through kind of, you know, some like standard acquisition methods. And we had both like paid creates that were promoted from like offsite. And we also had a bunch of organic creates and business boomed and it was great. And then as we sort of dove into the metrics deeper, basically none of these paid creates were actually adding any items to the registry, which is the whole point, right? That's how we actually make money on these things. The second thing we did was basically try to find ways for like advertisers to sort of like kickstart the registry. And we actually had a bunch of suppliers. These were like Avino and kind of, you know, these standard companies that a lot of people would register for, drop products directly into customers' registries. And so we actually saw a huge increase in our conversion a bunch of purchases were made. And the way we had developed the UX is these ads, A, showed up directly like you had added them to your registry and then show like zero out of one purchased. So both organic creates and these kind of like paid creates, any visitors who logged on and saw that customer's registry would see that they had this item by default, go and purchase it. So again, we saw some and baby registry is one of those like trailing metrics where people create it. Items aren't purchased for like several months, kind of around the shower time and saw this huge spike in our metrics. And then I probably like four weeks later, we get 
an email from the Wall Street Journal that we are going to be written up for deceptive ad practices because we have put all of these ads, basically all these products that we've monetized directly into registries without letting our customers know. It ended up being on Good Morning America. And the whole thing was a total PR disaster. We got a lot of good short-term benefit out of it, made a bunch of money, but ultimately it was kind of a disastrous thing for the customer, which to my original point, I think as you're thinking through your KPIs, having that lens of it's not just about the creates, it's also about the conversion and then making sure that conversion is like real conversion is really key to kind of the, the life cycle and be successful and sustainable over time. I think you see that in a, a ton of companies with, you know, the even Uber Eats and kind of all those delivery drop-offs, the quality of those customers, the quality of the orders tend to decrease over time if you're not actually focused on your like growing your organic customers and growing that experience to a really high quality experience that people are excited to return to and excited to use. That was a really interesting uh, registry anecdote. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, we have a few from those days. <laughs> they were, <laughs> we moved quickly and we, we broke a lot of customers' hearts. <laughs> Another, actually, this is sort of related, kind of when you think about retargeting, because that's a huge part of being a growth PM is registries are a particularly sensitive space. People create them and then kind of, you know, life happens. And for whatever reason, they may need to remove them. And we had this wealth of customer information from our, our baby registry creates. We had at one point, I think when I left, we had basically been able to identify with very high confidence 80% of new or expecting moms every year, which is just like a wild stat. And, you know, we had this whole sort of like great flywheel where then we would retarget those customers online to show like, now you need a size one diaper. Now you need a size three diaper. You should read Goodnight Moon or you should start on chapter books. And so it's exactly, it's like kind of the life cycle that, you know, you, you want, but there was a, an issue and a bunch of the people that were trying to opt out of those retargeting messages were not being included so we were, we were resending them messages. And so, again, it's one of those things that I think as you're thinking, especially in a more mature business of how you kind of grow other elements through retargeting, being incredibly careful with your like privacy rules, making sure you have your exclusion stuff all set up correctly is really is key, particularly if you're in a sensitive business like that. Thanks for the context. Uh, the stories here, valuable lessons from all of these. Now I want to make sure we'll have space for more stories. But first, Red, it's your turn to do your thing to make sure that people hear the stories on the topics that they want to hear as it relates to growth PM. So Red, are you read E to do your thing? Yes, thank you. It's a person who laughs at their own jokes and then insert caption in here. So Jeff, while I'm waiting for everyone else who's out there, we have Q&A, Q&A opportunity right now. That means you have the opportunity to comment. If you go into the LinkedIn, this is how we're recording it. And you know you, this is how you comment below. Like you just go in there and write your question and I'll see it. You can DM me if you're super discreet. Don't hit me on, sorry, on Twitter or like post to a main profile. Like we're on LinkedIn folks, so let's use it. And then if you're in the Slack community, you can also DM me there in the Slack community and we can provide opportunities there for you to get connected. Peter, I saw you come off mute. Did you uh, want to add anything there? Oh, uh, no, I think just an itchy trigger finger. <laughs> you can't find the mute when you need to, and you find it when you don't want to. I, you know, I, I, they need a growth marketer for the mute button. I'll tell you, the global mm -hmm. pandemic and the mute button, both in parallel, suffered some serious confusion. So I think uh, whoever's in charge of mute button buttons across <laughs> product categories 
That's it does seem like a problem that needs to be solved. It's kind of a universal <laughs> hassle. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I was just talking, why doesn't it just unmute automatically? Oh, because I might be talking to my kid and screaming. So good point. So let's go back to this Q&A opportunity. Anyone who has a question, you can also raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. Don't be shy. When you ask a question, there are a ton of people out there who benefit from hearing that question as well as the answer. So you are doing a gift to the community. You are paying it forward. If you're in the audience right now and you're like, I don't know, please raise your hand and ask anything. To get this piece started, I think it would help one of two ways. One, I have a question ready to go for Ryan. But before I do, I want to set the level here as far as definitions. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're new to product-led growth, you heard the term product-led growth, PLG, understand that what they were saying around sales wasn't controversial. It's how products typically start. There isn't a salesperson. There's a sign-up page, there's a pricing page, and there's let's get them into the product seamlessly. But at a certain point, as Carolyn, you pointed out, there are people looking to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, and they want to speak to a human being before doing that. And that is where the product's limitations might be. And that's where sales might enter the picture, if not much earlier. So if you're somebody who is hearing the term product-led growth for the first time, good luck, because when you Google it, you're going to be overwhelmed. But there are three terms you should remember when you hear it. There's the product manager, there is the growth product manager, and then there's the one we haven't really discussed so much in depth, which is the product marketing manager. That's right. Three different terms, all with the word product, and all three doing conceivably three different things. So if we have more time, we can dive deep into that. But I just wanted to at least set the stakes uh, and definitions for folks who are newer to the conversation. With that in mind, Ryan, you just jumped out of an airplane. You pulled your parachute cord. You fell into a company. I can't give a company name, but maybe you can get fancy and do it. And you have a conversion problem. What are you going to do? First, do not panic. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't panic, but uh, I think the first part is you need to give yourself a little bit of time. Try to understand historical. So do you really have a problem or has the business just changed? Is there a macro factor at play? There's a lot of deep dive and discovery to do there. When I joined Sondermine, I think it'd be probably helpful to take a step back and talk about Sondermine for a second. So Sondermind is a mental health care provider, and we help clients uh, connect with therapists. So ultimately, you know, we were coming out of Series B. So we have some runway, some latitude, some demonstration of product market fit, but the conversion funnel was struggling. And this harkens back a little bit to a question that I think Peter and Carolyn were, were tackling. Ultimately, like, do you make wholesale changes? Do you move where the credit card takes place for a customer? Or do you make a lot of sort of CTA changes, change button colors, et cetera? Where I would advise folks when you get dropped out of a plane and you have a conversion problem is first, try to find the broken things. Try to find the user experience issues that you just have sort of high confidence that this is causing like some barriers to friction. And that's going to give you enough air cover that you're going to be able to do some of the deeper dives and to form the relationships that are going to set you on a platform for really successful tests and, and better bets. But I think it's really important when you are just getting started at a new company to demonstrate a win, even if it's a small one, 
rather than sort of saying, hey, everyone, I need eight to 12 months in order to get my feet under me. And then we're going to start doing well together. One sort of example that I'll, I'll give that was sort of the benefit of time is we have a function where there's a phone channel for clients to uh, sign up for care. And they'll work with uh, what's called a wellness coordinator. And one of the outputs that came from one of those call sessions was like the client's most dramatic reaction on the phone was when a therapist actually called them while they were on the phone with one of our wellness coordinators. And it was a shock that like someone would get back to them so quickly. And the aha moment was that value delivered for the client was to hear from a provider and to hear from a provider or a therapist really quickly. So one of the growth principles that I would give to folks that are learning about growth is that you need to spend time trying to discover what the earliest, most valuable touch point is for your customer, and then do everything that you can in order to get them to that moment as quickly as possible. So ultimately, we ended up translating that sort of learning into our experience, and that was positive for our metrics. But ultimately, once you're jumping out of a plane, try to find like a couple quick wins out of the obvious stuff that you can work on, and then try to find that, try to close the gap from time to value. So you just parachuted in. I think that, you know, when you're talking about making this all happen, what is the role that is written on your t-shirt? Is it product manager? Is it growth product manager? Or is it the product managing marketer? Ryan, which one of those are you wearing and why? Growth product manager. I think in my context, it's pretty clear uh, just because we have we have partners. So if, if I'm clarifying those roles, product marketing manager is helping with the positioning and overall understanding of like where our product sort of giving guidelines for what the experience should look like and sort of a voice of the customer partner. And then a product manager writ large, sort of like the all-encompassing term, but I think or a clear distinction is product managers are loosely correlated or tied to core product managers. Those are people that build features and try to realize a vision through software. So in my specific charge, I'm coming out of a parachute, say we have a conversion problem, which is we have a metric problem. I would be a growth product manager. And then ultimately my metrics get a little bit easier and more straightforward the more core product managers, product market managers, product marketing managers that I have to work with that are sort of building the rest of the future for the for the product. Does that make sense? Crystal clear, my friend. Thank you so much. Just like the blue skies you fell in from. You know, Jeff and I were chatting on the sides. Peter even gave you a thumbs up here. You know, there's these nuances to these roles. And while we came here specifically to talk about growth from a product manager perspective, it's hard to tell when one role begin ends and the other one begins. And, you know, part of today's session is to help someone understand what they're applying for. You know, if we're trying to create a more inclusive world for product managers to get in, knowing what they're about to be in for when they apply for one of these roles, I'd love to at least attempt to dumb down almost a level of a tweet, a tweet circa last quarter versus what a tweet might be next quarter. That is a Musk joke. Um, <laughs> That's the laughter for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. So Carolyn and Peter, if you had to uh, describe the role of the product marketing manager, the growth product manager, 
as well as the product manager as it was before this whole thing started. What would you say that differentiates them if you had to only tweet one thing per role? Carolyn, I'd love to start with you if that's okay. Yes, that is great. I don't know what product marketing managers do, to be honest. That is not a role that I've worked really closely with. So no, it's gonna, okay. It's okay. Jeff is in marketing. He has no idea either. So, Carolyn, <laughs> it's, it's fine. You know. <laughs> Somebody articulated this better than me, but I think a, a product manager creates a vision and then uses technology to realize it. I thought that was a great articulation of kind of what we do and how we think about our jobs. And I think a, a growth product manager is specifically focused on growing a part of the business through software. And the business can be customers, revenue, something else. But that's that's how I would classify the, the difference. I was tempted to try to answer in the form of a haiku, but I think I've got to go with a tweet because syllable counting is tricky there. I feel like product marketing manager, I'll just say what, it, what it's like at Yahoo for me. So I am on a horizontal team. And basically, I'm trying to be the internal substack of Yahoo for newsletters all across the, the or across verticals, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo News, Yahoo Finance. Um, a PMM at Yahoo, right? I'm just going with an example of my everyday life here, is vertically oriented. So there's a PMM, product marketing manager, at Yahoo Finance, who I'm working with on a new launch. And you know he's the one in charge of like, okay, here's the branding, here's the features, here are some of the metrics that are important to me for the success of this business. I'm working with a channel marketer who you know takes his things and translates them into campaign objectives. And I'm the one sort of enabling that and growing the newsletter program that really drives the traffic to this new product. So I'm responsible for one tiny, very technical part of the virtuous cycle there. The product marketing manager is what will bring people to say Yahoo Finance or help them subscribe to this new feature. You know, how will I know it's successful or not? And I've seen PMM roles be very different elsewhere. You know, meanwhile, I have a normal product manager who really focuses on kind of the core movement of, you know, customers throughout, say, the Yahoo Finance experience. That's what we'd call like the, the sort of branded product side at Yahoo. Again, different. But they're not necessarily optimizing for growth the same way I am for, say, the email program of that. So Really, PMM, but that's not a tweet at all, is it? I just really went long there. <laughs> but it might be a tweet of the future. We don't know. Right. PMM, right. It's 280 characters now, right? PMM is thinking about the business and the goals. The product manager is thinking about kind of the core experience. And I, you know, for lack of a better term, growth product manager today, I'm thinking about how to make the hockey stick go up. Uh, that, that is a little reductive, but uh, I would say that's that's an essential difference if we're being pithy. All right, we have somebody asked to speak, and I hopefully I wasn't missing welcoming people who did that before. Yasmin, I'm jumping back in here because uh, quiet on the air. Oh, never. I was talking. <laughs> I was just proving oh, that wait. the mute button doesn't work for me. Mute okay. button again. <laughs> paging, paging all startups. If you can solve the mute button, VCs will throw money at you. Yeah. It is a real easy thing to prove. I'll take a brain implant. Like just, you know, uh, anyway, I was saying Yasmin, who is a great supporter and helper of the product management center and a mentor in the inclusive product management accelerator, raised her hand. Thank you for joining us on stage. Thanks for having me. I actually want to challenge some of the, the comments made there about growth PMs. And it's really funny. One of my mentees, shout out to Barbara Dibbs, who's also on this call, but we were having a chat about growth PMs last week, and I, I kind of said something similar. I was like, PMs don't necessarily take a vision and run with it, or growth PMs don't necessarily take a vision and run with it. It's almost like a 0.5 to 1 situation. And then I really paused and reassessed that and was like, 
maybe that's not, not totally true. So while in the grand scheme of things or the bigger product that you're trying to optimize or grow may not be a zero to one, you are still going zero to one in the software that you're building or the metrics that you're building and optimizing as a growth PM. So there is still a zero to one aspect. It's just a different parallel of zero to one. So it's like, how do I grow my business? And this actually comes up a lot in, uh, I'm going to complicate this further, but it comes up a lot in machine learning PMs and experimentation PMs because their sole role is to grow and experiment with what's growing and what's not, right? And it's not marketed that way from a role perspective ever, but ultimately they are growth PMs that are going zero to one and like, how do I build these experimentation platforms that allow me to go and optimize certain metrics? How do I build metrics that allow me to accelerate different business units and different business functions? So there is still a a zero to one aspect and I would challenge maybe like saying that there's no vision setting involved in, in growth PM. Curious others' thoughts though. Me too. This time I was waiting on the mute button because I didn't want to step on Red's toes because he normally takes some thoughts and lobbies it, lobs it to somebody else. Anybody want to dive in uh, to respond here? I don't know that I entirely disagree, but and I don't want to dive into like sort of the context cop out. But I think that if you consider that a vision is sort of like a point in time view of like realizing a problem the company solving a customer problem in the future or whatnot. Oftentimes the metrics are sort of byproducts or ancillary. They're not necessarily tied to the realization of an experience that delivers wonderful value. I think that within, like, let's just take like a basic checkout flow. You can create a vision for a wonderful checkout flow. That is totally possible and within the growth PM's charter. But I think the why is sort of associated with it, right? Like, are you making a wonderful, do you have a vision for a wonderful checkout flow because you're focused on that KPI or that conversion KPI? So I, I would agree with you that like, it's not like growth PMs are entirely on an island and just focus on the metric. They're part of the overall customer experience and part of part of the vision. But I don't think that in large part, they're core. And I think that that's why I, I like the framing of a core PM as someone that is building future features to realize a vision. Would you agree with that characterization? Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think in some experiences, though, and personalization probably comes to mind the most or like advertising measurement comes to mind. There are still core customer features that would be launched as part of growth or experimentation. So I think it, it may vary here and there. I think I generally agree with your characterization. Well, we had a moment for controversy. I'd like to keep going if we could. Carolyn, do you want to rebut what Yasmin said or what Ryan said? Or are we going to end with just a happy agreement here? No, I think no matter what product space you're in, you should have a vision for how to drive your KPI and your business forward or how to create great customer experiences. I think if you don't have that vision, you're going to end up just creating a, a list of features that maybe move the, the KPIs forward in the short term, but you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a compelling long-term strategy. One thing I do want to just jump in on, I did appreciate what you said, Yasmin, about the machine learning, essentially having that same goal as a growth PM. I will say often the types of firms, at least in my kind of limited startup focused experience, 
that are thinking about growth PMs are often not at the level of sophistication where like, oh yeah, let's get machine learning going, right? So like, yes, totally. And a lot of times the machine learning could probably be the how. Um, it also, I would probably say it takes a, a different skill set than, than someone who's, you know, kind of like laser conversion focused funnel. Like you might be someone who works with data a whole lot more and that makes you an ideal machine learning DM. So yeah, but I, I do like your point about them really having the same, the same goal as you know, growth, just uh, kind of going about it a very different way. All right. We are almost out of time. Red, I've messaged you on the side, but do you want to do your last thing here before we get to concluding thoughts? Well, it's not so much a thing that I would own normally, but for those who listen to this podcast and those who are joining today, we have the three musketeers, amigos, although I'd say, Jeff, it's not fair because that is gender centric. And we have diversified uh, Sumea, who cannot be here today, has always brought to light frameworks, mindsets, closing thoughts. So if you want to get action and understand what it's like to hear that, please go to the next episode of the previous one. And for those who are here today, I encourage you to come back next week. But for my closing thoughts, I'm just honored to be with PMs who speak the language of growth and sales. I'm not saying that PMs out there don't speak that language, but I would say that there are more inclined in this room to think about the growth at how to get products off the shelves, so to speak, than I would say you find typically in larger organizations where it's less science and, and a lot more art and it just doesn't feel like a sales conversation. Again, this is my own two cents, but it's very refreshing. And if you're looking to work in an organization that sounds like the conversation today, then it sounds like growth product marketer is going to be the, oh, I'm sorry, not growth product marketer, but growth marketing and um, God, Jeff, I lost myself. <laughs> you in need Samaya. <laughs> Help! Help! Help me! Growth product uh, manager. Uh, yes, growth product managers is the is the role for you. Yes. Back to you, Jeff. All right. <laughs> okay. I want concluding thoughts, and I'm hoping I could frame these concluding thoughts in this one bullet point takeaway, either from what we've said or one bullet point takeaway that hasn't been said, and you just want to make sure people take it away from this conversation. And two, your favorite resource, whether it's a book, a blog, your favorite resource that's helped as a growth product manager. Round robin. Looks like Peter came off mute first. So the punchline that I hope people could take away about growth PMs today, you, if you're listening to this call, could be qualified to be a growth PM. Like, honestly, <laughs> it's much more about the person you are, the focus you have, the things you can learn and how you can learn, um, and your ability to focus on that context, that more than any credential or specific experience. I've seen the best ones have that kind of killer instinct. My best resource. Okay. She's not here. I was looking forward to saying this with her on the call, but I followed Sumeya on LinkedIn. Like, I probably should just connect with her since I'm such a fanboy, but I followed her like a year or two ago. And she is always either putting out good content, commenting on good content, but basically find a thought leader on LinkedIn, either relevant to growth PM stuff or you know your area of interest. And I would say the, the universe of content being put out there on LinkedIn is good enough today. And you can kind of pick and choose, follow some interesting thought leaders. And you'll really be exposed to it every time you say, open up a job search or want to post if you have, say, like a, a sales or PMM related role. So just, yeah, Sumeya, follow Sumeya. That's my uh, <laughs> my best place to get thought leadership. Awesome. Ryan, one bullet point takeaway and one resource you'd recommend. Yeah, thanks. I think one thing that sort of dovetailing with the vision comment of Growth product management, even though it's focused on a metric, it doesn't have to be cold. And I know that this has a lot to do with sort of the business and category that you're in. 
but I've had the privilege of working to try to help get more clients into therapy. And so as I think about growth, I think about, you know, the experiments that I'm running theoretically, like are helping people get care, solve problems in their own, in their own lives. And so growth can drive access and it can really help. And so even though like we talk a lot about metrics and stuff that are pre- is pretty cold, I think growth can also be tied to mission and can be done really meaningfully. So I'd encourage folks to look out for those sorts of roles as well. Those that can tick the box between like experimentation and business, but also can be really meaningful. Uh, as far as resources, I'd, I'd point you to uh, Lenny's podcast or Lenny's newsletter. I'm going to butcher his last name. I think it's Rachitsky. Um, he's a former Airbnb PM and he's an excellent collator of uh, information. And I just continually find good stuff in his podcast interviews and as well as uh, his paid newsletter. So I recommend folks go there. It's been a really great resource. All right. Thank you, Ryan. Carolyn. So my bullet point takeaway is that I should probably spend more time with my marketing team and my resource that I would encourage you all to lean into is your customers. Figure out what you, how are you underserving them? Because you get more of them if you answer that question. All right. Thank you. Yasmin, do you want to hop in with anything you'd like to leave the listener with, a takeaway and or a resource? Putting me on the spot. <laughs> I think the biggest takeaway here is that anyone can be a growth PM. As long as you have kind of like that customer obsession and you are able to kind of analyze metrics and, and want to take things and grow things further. I really liked what Ryan said about you can grow missions as well. And really anyone can be a growth PM in that way, as long as you're passionate about growing, not just for business and money, although it's important, but growing for for different causes. Resource-wise, it's an interesting one. I don't know that I have core resources on like specific growth areas. I do like the thought leader thing. Find a thought leader, listen to this podcast. <laughs> it's definitely a good resource to continue to to think about what, what type of PM to move into. You will never be faulted for saying your favorite resource is the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast available wherever <laughs> podcasts can be downloaded. So thanks for joining us with that question and comment and chiming in at the end on the spot. And thank you, Peter, Ryan, and Carolyn. Really great to have you here. My concluding thought is if you think you want to be a growth PM or a product manager in general, we are opening up applications for the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator sometime within the next month. We'll have more clarity on that real soon. It's a free and that's right, I said free program aiming to bring professionals from historically marginalized communities to empower them to land their first product manager role. So if you're here in the U.S., authorized to work here in the U.S., and you want to build a more inclusive future as a PM, a first-time PM, follow the Product Management Center at UW on LinkedIn. That's where we're going to post first when we have those application dates. So it's, again, it's a free program. It's very competitive, but we want people who are committed to inclusion and who are ready to be product managers. And we want to empower you with a community of support and connect you to opportunity and finish off your product management skills with uh, some great content led by uh, people like Yasmin. So thank you everybody for joining us. We'll see you next week here on LinkedIn as we talk about making an internal transfer into product management. And again, the How to Succeed in Product Management podcast is available wherever podcasts are downloaded. Thank you again, Peter, Ryan, and Carolyn. It was really great to meet you. And thank you, Red, for kickstarting this whole thing, man. 